gift that you've given us this Christmas. And God, I pray that uh, I have an overflow. Yeah, the parents are like, oh, there we go. Parents are like, I'm ready for the kids to go back to school. They just got out and you're ready for them to go back to school, aren't you? Uh, no, uh, we, we, uh, we've had a good time leading up to Christmas. Um, uh, this weekend we went down to Orlando for day carry, heading down to see all the Christmas lights at Disney World and everything. And, and he liked that, thought it was cool. I thought it was cool they were passing out free cookies. I mean, what fat kid doesn't like free cookies, right? And, uh, no, we had a good time down there, you know, kind of put you in the Christmas spirit and everything, and you see, you know, everything, the Christmas trees, the, the fake snow, you know, the, they had the parade, the songs, and we had a good time. Um, but, you know, as I was down there, it, you know, it, one thing really, really struck me. Now, you got to understand, I, I'm a weird guy, and, well, you understand that. I, I, knew, I knew I was going to amen. I was going to beat you to it, Charles. Um, I, I'm weird in this fact. How about this? I'm weird in this fact. I don't mind getting up in front of a crowd of people and, and talking to people, you know, in front of you. I have no problem. I don't want to be in the middle of you talking to you, right? You put me inside a big crowd of people with people going everywhere like at a mall or a concert or wherever, and I, I just can't stand I get freaked out. Leanne just says I'm the weirdest person ever because I don't mind something like this, you know, being up in front of people. That, that doesn't bother me. Uh, and, and so, obviously, theme parks are one of my natural enemies. <laughs> I, I hate, you know, going to stuff like that. But I'm going to tell you what, I enjoyed myself because it seemed like this time, I've never been to Disney, you know, around Christmas time or Bush Gardens or wherever, but everybody there was, it, it was crazy. They were all so nice, you know. I mean, even the guys who like have to, you know, sort through the diaper bag, and you spend thirty minutes packing Haddon's diaper bag, and he pulls everything out to make sure I don't have a bomb in there. Uh, you know, they, they're really nice. The the people that you know would normally be pushing you aside to run, you know, get the next Mickey Mouse stuffed animal or whatever, really nice. Everybody was really nice down there, and you know, think, oh, it's the Christmas spirit, right? Everybody's in this time of year. Uh, but it just kind of hit me all of a sudden, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this. It kind of hit me all of a sudden that we have all this Christmas spirit, and people are in such a good mood and having such a good time, and most of them don't even know why, right? I mean, they, they think it's because the snow or the cookies or the songs, but what if we were to strip all that away from Christmas? Would it still be Christmas, right? Would we, can we celebrate Christmas without that? And, you know, we think and talk about that every year. And, and it really, really makes me wonder. Um, I heard a song on the radio talking about, you know, uh, in Africa this year, they're not going to have any Christmas trees. They're not going to have any Christmas lights. They're not going to give away presents. They're not going to sing Jingle Bells or uh, Silent Night. But does that mean that they worship the birth of our Lord? You know, think about celebrate the birth of our Lord any different? And, and I start thinking about that. And I think, you know, like we said, we just got the whole idea of Christmas um, kind of mixed around because we spent a lot of last week, and if you were here last week, uh, you remember we talked a lot about the idea that Christmas was what? 
Oh, thank you, Nancy. Anybody else? Christmas was a missions trip, right? And we think about a missions trip as, okay, I'm going to leave America with our air conditioning car, satellite TV, and I'm going to go eat chicken and rice, and not the kind of chicken and rice we cook on Wednesday night, the kind of chicken and rice that's plucked over a fireplace where you might find a feather in it every now and then, that kind of chicken and rice for like a week, sleep in a plywood bed and build buildings or paint houses, right? You know, that, that's what our missions trip is. And we think we've got to step down from where we are to go on a missions trip. And if that's the way you think of a missions trip, then Christmas was a missions trip. Because Jesus stepped out of all the glory and pleasure of heaven to come and minister to us here on earth. And last week we asked the question, what was the mission of Christmas? you got five seconds. Anybody remember the four what's of Christmas? What were they? One, two, three. Serve. Somebody looked in their Bible from last week. Okay, I appreciate all the help there. Way to, you know, make, way to fill my Christmas spirit up, fella, guys. You know, I appreciate, you know, your attentiveness and retention. That, that, no, I, I, I'll refresh you. We talked about the what of Christmas. We said the what of Christmas um, was very simple. Uh, we said, number one, uh, the what of Christmas was Jesus came to serve us, right? Jesus came to serve us uh, in order to win our hearts. And then uh, we said that he came to give. Uh, he came to give his everything to those of us who had nothing. And then we said he came, uh, he came to serve and he came to give and he came to seek. Right? Talked about Zacchaeus in the tree. Said he came to seek us when we'd never seek after him. And then finally we said that the mission of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, was that he came to save us. Right? He came to save us from our sins. And, and that was the what of Christmas. So what we want to do today... We want to kind of do part two of that. Are you with me? You look tired this morning. Are you tired? How about this? How about look, look at the person next to you and say, I'll stay awake if you will. Now, how many of you said that but really didn't mean it? Right? <laughs> I know. Chris is up there in the sound booth says, I reckon when Chip goes to preaching, I can just kind of take back and take me a little nap real quick. I said, when I go to preaching, I might take a nap real quick. We'll see. Uh, uh, stay with me. All right, you ready? Part two, part two, not the what of Christmas, but the why, right? Why did Jesus have to become human? You ever ask that question? You, you should, if you never have. Think about this, and, and see if you could answer this, okay? Why did Jesus have to become human in order to serve us, give us everything for us, seek us, and save us? Why did he have to become human to accomplish that, Right? I mean, God's all-powerful, isn't he? Isn't he? God can do what he wants, can he? So then why couldn't God just stay in heaven and save us from our sins? Right? Why, why couldn't God just stay in heaven and seek after us? Why couldn't God just stay in heaven and give us everything? Why did Jesus have to step out of heaven, take on human flesh, in order to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish? Why is Christmas necessary? Think you could answer that question? You were, somebody you work with, somebody in your family would ask you this week, why, why, why is Christmas necessary? Why did Jesus have to become human? Do you think you could answer that? It's a very important question because right around the first uh, of, um, you know, the fir first of the century, uh, of the, when, after Jesus was born, that first century A.D., there became a doctrine known as docetism, and that's just a fancy word to tell you this. They said Jesus really didn't become human. When Jesus came to earth, he was kind of like a ghost, right? He, he, would just, you know, he was there in spirit, but he didn't have a real body. 
And, and so he was God in flesh, but he wasn't human. And, and you say, well, you can't, that's not true because, why? Could you answer that? Why, why is that not true? He bled and died? Are you sure he bled? He ate? Okay. All right, how about this? Why is that wrong on a theological level? Like we could say, we can look at proofs, but we can say, okay, that's the what, but what about the why? Why, why can't he be that? And that's a question they had to answer. And, and it's an important question because John, in 1 John, said this. He said that anyone who says that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh is antichrist. Right? 1 John chapter 4, look it up. He said anybody who says Jesus did not come in the flesh is of the spirit of antichrist. We talk about Antichrist, you know, uh, we read all the left-behind books, see all these end-time movies. John says, you know, if you say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that's Antichrist. So why did Jesus come? Why did he take on human flesh? And it's real simple. We already got it up here on the screen. You've already read it, so I want you to read it with me. Why did Jesus have to take on human flesh? Why was Christmas necessary? I want you to read this with me. He became so we could become. Now read it with me like... Um, you know, listening. He became so we could become. Now you think of that. That has some big implications. Why is Christmas necessary? He became so we could become. This, this morning, I'm going to look at three different passages, okay? And we're going to look at these three different passages and try and answer the question about why was Christmas necessary? Why did he become so that we could become? Let's look at first in Galatians. And turn me in the book of Galatians. In chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start there. Um, and as you turn there, uh, when you find your place, if you would look up at me, so I know you're there, and we're going to go ahead and uh, open up with a word of prayer this morning. Galatians chapter 4. All right, most of you got it. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, again, uh, we just want to thank you for this day. And we just want to thank you for this time that we can look in your word, Father God. And I pray uh, that as we go into this, uh, in this message this morning, as we turn to your word, Father God, that you would just uh, open our eyes and open our hearts to help us understand uh, why Christmas was necessary. And we'll give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're in Galatians chapter 4, say, I got it. All right. Trying to wake you guys up, man. If you could see your faces, you'd be depressed. Okay. I'm telling you, look like a bunch of Grinches out there this morning. Galatians chapter 4 was one of the first passages we're going to look at. And in this passage, Paul is talking about um, really um, the law versus grace. And if you look in Galatians chapter 4, we see one of the coolest passages in all of Scripture um, because the passage really mirrors itself. It begins and ends in the same way. The middle focuses together, uh, and it's pretty neat. And we're just going to read uh, verses 4 and 5 together. Um, we read this. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. Now look at this. Born of a... Born under the... So that... Alright, now here's what I want you to do. Look at me. If you've got a pen, if you've got a highlighter... I encourage you, if you don't write in your Bibles, that's fine, because I'm kind of OCD about that same kind of stuff too. But that, those two words there, so that, or that one word in your translation may be that, I want you to underline, circle it, highlight it, whatever you have to do, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, okay? 
so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So what Jesus or what Paul is doing here is he's starting to give us a hint to the answer of the question why, right? He says, when the fullness of time had come, Leanne asked me a question last Sunday after church that was a great question. I hope you all asked it at one point or another. Why did God wait so long to send Jesus? You ever think about that? You know, why did God wait for that many people to come and live and die before he sent Jesus? And, you know, there's some good answers, but there's probably not one satisfactory answer. But you look at a lot of things. Well, number one, the Roman Empire had finally risen to power. And what, what were the Romans famous for, you history majors? The Roman roads, right? All roads lead to Rome, right? You heard that saying. It's because the Romans were excellent road builders, and they built roads that nobody in human history had ever seen, and they had roads that covered about the whole known world. Why is that important? Well, if the gospel is going to be carried to ends of the earth, it'd be nice not to have to carry a machete with you, right? I mean, you have a place to walk, you got places to go. Uh, second thing was this. At this time, the height of Greek culture had begun to peak. Now, the Greek civilization had already begun to decline, but Greek culture had begun to peak. Up to this point in history, if you live 15 miles from each other, you probably spoke a different language. It'd be like you going to Branford and having to speak French. Are you going to Perry and having to speak German? Are you going to Lake City and having to speak Portuguese? And every little tribe, every little community had another language. And they, up to this point in history, they kind of began to come together, come together, come together, till up to now, the language of the Greeks, which we know is Greek, which isn't the same Greek as we have today, but the Greek language was a language that was spoken by almost everybody inside the known world. It's kind of hard to preach the gospel when you don't know what somebody's saying, Right? I mean, how many of you would love to be sitting in a Spanish service this morning? You'd just be blessed by it, right? Well, you wouldn't. You don't know what they're saying. Well, that was another reason. Another reason was is because the Jewish legal system had become so corrupt that people started to understand that salvation can't come from the law. The law just shows our need for it, right? The Ten Commandments, if you keep the Ten Commandments, that doesn't make you saved. The fact that you can't keep the Ten Commandments shows you you need to be saved, right? And so Paul starts off in verse 4 and says, But when the fullness of time came, all these things came together. When the fullness of time came together, God sent forth his Son. Born of a woman, born under the law. Those two phrases are... Are key. He was born of a woman. He took on human flesh. But more than that, he was born under the law. Which means he was held to the same standard that we all are. He was under the weight and the burden of keeping every, raw, every rule, every commandment, every law inside the Old Testament. When he took on that human flesh, he was susceptible to the same rules, regulations, and laws that we all are. He was born of a woman, but he was also born under the law. I'm trying to keep you interactive since you look like you're going to sleep. Born under the Law, right? Why is that important? It's important because Jesus had to come in, he had to come under the law if he was going to rescue us from the law. Because truth be told, the rules, the regulations, the commandments, the laws of the Old Testament was a standard we could never live up to that was really crushing us, right? It's kind of like I always tell you. That every Sunday when you come in church, I'm going to give you a list of things to do that week. Don't get angry. Don't lust. Don't be jealous. Uh, don't boast. Don't overeat. Hello? 
right? And if you do all those things this week, then when you come back next week, you'll still be okay with God, and I'll give you some more. Right? How many of you want to come to a church that preaches that? Nobody, right? Thank goodness we're not under law, we're under grace. But the reason we're under grace is because Jesus came under the law and destroyed the power of the law. He became so that we could become. Now look at this. It says, he became these things so that. Do you see that phrase I had you underline? That is three little letters in the Greek. Okay? If we were to write it out in English, it would look like I-N-A. Or I, yeah, I-N-A. Or since the N and the V in the Greek language are backwards, I-V-A actually. It's a little Greek word, and I don't like to say Greek words a lot, but it's called henna. And when you think of henna, it's like, yes, those henna tattoos. That's exactly how you pronounce it, like a henna tattoo, okay? You got the henna tattoo so that your parents wouldn't whip your tail if you got a real one. You know what I mean? Like, you go on spring break, you get a henna tattoo so that your mom doesn't scrub the skin off your arm if it was real trying to get it off. So that. Henna means so that. And what it is, it's a purpose clause, which is saying this. Jesus became born of a woman, born under the law, so that, in order that, for the purpose of, he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. Anytime you read your Bible and you see that, that phrase, so that, or maybe a word that, I would encourage you, underline it, circle it. That is a big, big word in Scripture because he's telling you this is why. Okay? This is why. He was born under the law so that he might redeem us from the law. He was born of a woman so that we might receive his adoption. Okay? Jesus became so that we could... Jesus became so that we could, Jesus became a son of man so that we could become sons of God. Do you see that? Now, I would ask you to read this, but at this point, some of you are like, I don't care how many times he asked me, I'm not repeating it, that's stupid. Well, that's fine. If you don't want to remember it, you don't remember it, that's fine. Jesus became a son of man so that we could become sons of God. Right? How many times in the New Testament did he call himself the Son of Man? The Son of Man has come. The Son of Man has come. The Son of Man has come. <coughs> he did so to highlight the point that he became a Son of Man so that we could become sons of God. And when you think about that, isn't that just a great reversal? Right? He was a Son of God, but he became a Son of Man so that we who were already a Son of Man could become a Son of God. That's crazy. That's exactly what that passage says. He was born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law and that we might receive the adoption of sons. The next passage is this, okay? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. Book of Hebrews in chapter 2. And this one is great because what we're going to be doing as we look at these passages is they really kind of narrow down until they hit the nail on the head. And in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, we're going to start reading together and um, we're going to start looking at verse 14. And it's a long passage we're going to read, but it's important. And then we're going to go back and I'm going to highlight some important phrases in there for you, okay? So verse 14, we read this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, the children. He, he became son of man so that we could become 
Son of God, so when it says children, that's us. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. What same is he talking about? Flesh and blood, right? Make sure you're tracking with me. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, who? The devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he give helps to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, now look at this. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. You see that phrase? He had to be made. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. What are the next words? So that. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, you can just say payment, to make payment for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. You see that? Paul laid a foundation in Galatians. He was born of a wonder and born of the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law and receive adoption of sons. The author of Hebrew carries it to the next step. said he had to be made like his brethren. He had to take on flesh and blood so that he might render powerless the one who had the power of death so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Right? What is the number one disease that we all have that's going to kill us all eventually? Life. Right? Life's a disease everybody has and it kills us all eventually. Right? Every one of us, unless Jesus comes back, is going to die. Some sooner, some later. Some at an old age, some at a young age. But death comes for us all. And so Jesus had to become like us in flesh and blood. So that he could face death and destroy its power. Do you see that? That's exactly what the author of Hebrews said, right? He couldn't destroy death until he tasted death. It says that he had to take on our flesh and blood if he was going to pay for those sins. Jesus became so that we could... He became mortal so that we could become immortal. Right? He became mortal so that we could become immortal. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is clearly teaching here. Because he says that he took that flesh and blood. Jesus Christ, do you think about that? He stepped into a world that had never known death so that he could die. He became mortal so that he could become, so we could become immortal. I think we're starting to narrow down onto something here. Let's look at one more passage in Hebrews, I'm sorry, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're going, for sake of time, we're going to skip over uh, one little verse and go straight to this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Jesus became so that we could, we become because Jesus, ah, three for a loop there, didn't I? He became so that we could, we become because he, good, 
You, you're tracking with me. I, I'm, I'm getting, you, thank you, you're building up my self-confidence a little bit. I appreciate that. Every time you repeat after me or fill in the blank, it's like you're patting me on the back. I appreciate it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I want you to look at this. This is it. This is it. Nail on the head right here. Bullseye. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see that? It's one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. I know I've asked you to repeat a lot of things, but I do, I do, I do, I do. Whether you were sleepy or not, I was going to have you do this this morning. I want you to repeat it. I want you to read this verse with me. I think there's something special in this verse. When we say it out loud, I think it sinks in our hearts. Read it with me. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, that idea of he became so that we could become, that's not some little phrase that I made up to be catchy this morning. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus became a son of man so that we could become a son of God. He became mortal so that we could become immortal. But none of that, none of that would be possible without this verse right here. He became sin so that we could become righteous. Why is Christmas necessary? Why did Jesus have to become human? Because sin had to be punished. And when he became sin, it was punished in him. Hebrews in chapter 9, I believe it is, and we don't have time to look at it, but you go back and it says, You may almost say, all things are cleansed by blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Unless Jesus Christ had come to earth, taken on human flesh, and bled, we would not be saved. He became sin for us. Now you think about that. There are two things in that phrase that should absolutely blow your mind. Number one is the fact that he became sin. Right? God has never known sin. God is so holy and so perfect that he can't allow sin into his presence. Okay? There's a reason God doesn't just say, oh, I just work, don't worry about it. Everybody come on to heaven. He can't because His holiness demands that sin flee away. His presence is so pure that sin cannot enter in. And yet we're taught that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the same nature with God, essence of God, became sin. That should blow your mind. He became sin. And the second thing is this. Not just that he became sin, but that he became anything. Think about that for just a minute. Let's, let's get this thing a little bit on a deeper level here. Did you realize that before this, God never became anything? That's one thing God had never done till Christmas. God had never became. He always was. But in that first Christmas, he became. He became a son of man. He became mortal. And when he died on the cross, he became sin. God had never become. And yet he became sin for us. 
Somebody once said, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? (laughs) Well, that's kind of the same thing here. God's always existed, and he had never become. But he became for us. Every one of us, if we were left to our own, would have to bear the punishment for our own sins. We'd have to pay the price for our own mistakes, our own rebellion. But Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and became that sin. So that, over those words again, so that we could become righteous. Why was Christmas necessary? Because if He hadn't become these things for us, we could never become children of God, have eternal life, or become righteous. I mean, let's narrow it down. Let's just put it in something. You know, Christmas time, we like to wrap all our gifts nice and neat. Guys, I don't know how many of you guys have ever tried to wrap a gift. I'm horrible at it. Every time I wrap a gift, Leanne's like, that's from you, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, that's from me. Right? Like our gifts nice and neat and sharp. So let's get this. Let's, let's wrap this thing down nice and neat right here. You ready? He became like us so we could become like him. Isn't that about right? He became like us so that we could become like him. Think about that for a minute. Who would ever want to become like you? Who'd ever want to become like me? Right? I mean, we look at other people sometimes and say, oh man, if I could just have the things they have. You know, we, we don't have a lot of money at the house this Christmas, but man, if I could just become like that, then, then maybe I would. Or, or we can't afford to go on you know, a fancy trip this Christmas, but, but maybe if, if I was like that person, I could. Maybe if I could just become like them, live in their life, be like they are, then I would have the things that they have. The truth be told, we may think about those things, but have you ever thought about, man... Does anybody ever want to become like me? It's a question you really think about when you're a new dad, you know. When Haddon grows up, will he want to become like me? Who would ever want to become like us? Much less a holy and eternal God living in all the glory that heaven has to offer. Uh, The Bible says, at his right hand there were pleasures forevermore. He had everything that he could ever want, everything that he could ever need. There's nothing we could give back to him. But he said, I want to become like you. So that you can become like me. That's the why of Christmas. He became like us so that we could become like him. And if he hadn't, we couldn't. Let me just say this as we get ready to close. A lot of you who've been in church for years and years and years, but truth be told, you don't look anything like Jesus. You don't act anything like Jesus. You don't sound anything like Jesus. You don't live anything like Jesus. And if you had to admit it and be honest with yourself, you'd say, Chip, I know. I really don't resemble him at all. Let me ask you this. If that is the why of Christmas, then what does it say when you've not become like him? 
What does that say about you when you don't act like him? He became one of us. He became like us so that we could become like him. And the only reason that I could tell you this morning that you've not become more like him. And I'm not saying you look just like Jesus. You know, we all, you know, mess up. Yeah, you've, you've always heard somebody, have you ever heard anybody say, you know, well, I know that I'm not perfect, right? How many of you ever heard somebody say that? Raise your hand. Anybody ever heard that? I know I'm not perfect. And you think to yourself, ah, oh, I'm glad you cleared that up because I was really starting to wonder, right? No, we, we know that. We know that we're not perfect. I don't have to tell you I'm not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. Yes, amen, Charles, I know, right? Now, you know I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. But the idea is not that we are just like Jesus, but that we begin to look more like Jesus. And the reason that many of you have never started to look more like Jesus, the reason you don't look any more like Jesus now than you did 15 years ago, is because you've never come to know Him as Savior. And that's just bottom line. I mean, I've been praying about this for several, several weeks now. And I just really believe that the reason that more of our people don't look more like Jesus is because they've never really known what it means to know Him as Savior. You come to church, you keep a list of rules, and you go out and say, well, I, kept seven, I, I passed the test, I made a 75 this week, I'll come back to church again. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus didn't become like you so that you could check off a list. He became like you so that you could become like Him. And if you're not becoming like Him, you really need to look at yourself this Christmas. Say, Chip, I just really want to be honest. And if I have been kidding myself, if I've been fooling myself, if I've been trying to earn my way into this thing, I just want God to show me this morning. And maybe right now that is the prayer of your heart. You say, Chip, you know, if I'm not saved, I just want God to show me. You know, it's not about what I do. It's not about, you know, the rules I keep. It's about a personal relationship with Him as Savior. He became like you so that you could become like him. And if you're not, I just want to just challenge you with that. And it's just this simple this morning. Are you sure of that relationship with Christ? Because if you're not, there's not a more important thing on this earth that you could be sure of this Christmas season. We're going to have a time of invitation. And, you know, I was kind of praying about this. Usually the Sunday before Christmas is a big Sunday. But when I looked out and saw a crowd this morning, I was kind of glad that, you know, it's not one of our bigger Sundays. Because if I look out in this crowd, we can pretty much look around and say this is mostly home folk. Most of our home people. And just as a family, a church family this Christmas, I want to give you an invitation to make sure you know Jesus. To make sure you have that relationship with him. And if you don't, get that settled today. We're going to have our musicians go ahead and come forward and then the altars are going to be open. And what I want to do is I want you all to just bow your head and close your eyes. And if you'd say, Chip, I'm not sure. I don't know that I've ever taken that step. I'm just going to say a prayer. And you can repeat after me. You can repeat it in your seat. You can repeat it, you know, just quietly to yourself. But I encourage you to get this nailed down. If that's you, say, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And on my own, I would never be good enough to get into heaven. But I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to become sin for me so that I might become righteous in him.
And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my shortcomings. And become the Lord of my life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Amen. Now look up. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you know I'm not big on giving these kind of invitations. And I'm not, you know, if you've been here and most of you have, you know this. I believe God laid this on my heart because there's somebody here who needs to get this settled. And the bottom line is this. If you don't have the courage to walk down the aisle and admit you just said that, how can you hope to have the courage to live this out when you leave these doors? The invitation is simple. If you just prayed to trust Christ, you come forward. And I'd like to talk with you and pray with you again. And we'll celebrate together this Christmas season. As we stand to sing, if God's spoken to you this morning, you come respond to him.